I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to another edition of the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Our guest guest is a staple of Inside Carolina premium tar pit content. back with inside carolina podcast like i said i mentioned the staple who could it be if you're watching on the youtube channel obviously you recognize the dome and the shirt and the the backdrop and the book Um, but of course um, if you're listening you know you gotta know it's jason staples what's going on jason the off season is not an off season for us just marching along, trying to get as much as we can out before uh, before this season, and uh, lots to still lots to talk about. It is uh, it is crazy how fast the summer months go, and one reason it goes so fast for our listeners and our our premium message board subscribers is the work you do during the summer. And so I'm not going to dilly dally. We're going to get straight into this. Um, first of all, give me a little back history or, or backstory of these scouting reports you do for the premium message boards initially you've been doing them several years now how long has it been going on i know i read all of them but i can't remember past yesterday anymore Um, just a little history on why and how you started these so i think this is the third year it might be the fourth but i think it's the third year i've done this i'd have to look look back but um basically it came down to uh, a couple years ago was sort of looking at what made the most sense to do in the off season. And, uh, you know, in prior off seasons, there'd been new coaching hires, there'd been, you know, n- different things to, to bring, bring up and, and to and analyze in terms of uh, what to expect for the next year. And then there was a year where there was really, you know, both coordinators were coming back. We'd been through a ton of that stuff. And it was like, well, you know, what is it that I can do this this summer to uh, to add value for the subscribers to make sure that they're getting something that is going to both educate and be somewhat entertaining uh and and help give a sense of what what to expect in the upcoming season and and uh that's you know talked about it some with with uh with Ben and Buck and basically decided you know the best thing here would be let's just go down the roster and the guys that are that are uh, that that are most likely to play, you know, a bunch of a bunch of reps this year, and let's evaluate the roster and let's give a an unvarnished take about how good this roster looks and where the weaknesses are in different places and all of that, which can help to some degree set expectations. Because I think the, one of the hardest things in every off season is every off season is going to, you know, the next year's team is finally going to be way better than the last year's team. And, uh, you know, it's hope springs eternal and it's always, you know, 
uh, next year will be the one kind of thing. And then you get into the off season and, you know, you pay attention to the, you know, social media releases of, of schools and different things. You'd be convinced that every program is going to contend for a national title every off season. You know, like finally the stuff that was not, that, that was not working last year, that's finally going to get fixed. <laughs> well, you know, this is, this has been a, a thing that, especially on the Tar Pit Premium message board over the past few years, you know, past 10 years, uh, nine years. Um, I guess this is my 10th year, I think. Wow. Um, We're all getting crazy. Uh, so over the past 10 years, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions on how, how far away are we? How far away are we really from being competitive? And you've seen it before where I've gotten some flack for answering the question, honestly, like, well, you know, probably three, four years away from really competing at the level that, you know, you think, and, and uh, in particular, after that, uh, that trip to the ACC championship game had folks that were like, Oh, we're, we're, we're gonna, how, how close are we? How close are we really? And I said, at least three years. And folks didn't really like that. And I had to explain that, it boils down to the Jimmy's and Joe's on the roster that, you know, you can catch lightning in a bottle and have a really, really good season, make it to, to an ACC championship game, even contend in that one season, but you can't count on being competitive like that without significant depth and without dudes at specific positions uh, and having difference makers on your roster. And that has to be recruited. And then those guys have to be developed over the next couple of years after they've been recruited. Because when you recruit a guy, you recruit a guy this year, this recruiting class is for two to three years from now, not for next year. And so essentially I was thinking through that and thinking, what's the best way to explain where Carolina is on that? And we came down to let's go through the roster. Let's show people what they, what's actually there. And, um, and I think if, if you looked at last year's reports, that would have kind of given you some indication that there were some potential red flags for the season that might be weaknesses. And some of those things turned into weaknesses as the, as the season went along. And uh, you know, I think that's the sort of thing that this, this can help identify can also identify where you're going to have some strengths. I mean, uh, folks were a little surprised last year and I said, Josh Downs was going to be a big upgrade on Daz Newsom, who he replaced, who moved on and was a really good player. And you know, my my scouting report on Downs is about as positive as you could get. Uh, and, you know, same thing with Javante Williams the year before. But the thing is, I'm, I'm trying to identify both the strengths and the weaknesses on the team and with players and, and do that in a way that 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 uh, that fans can can benefit from and, and help project and set expectations for the season. Yeah, it's interesting to look at um, both what you've done so far this year, last year's and all, and, and see the progression. I remember we talked about 2015. Is it lightning in a bottle or is it something real? And um, to your credit and probably to against mine, it was it was a lightning in the bottle season. Sometimes, like you mentioned, they just things just break your way and you and you get all the lucky breaks. Carolina football has not been one to get the lucky breaks over the course of history pretty much um they didn't get all of them that year remember that uh onside kick uh, that was about the only break they didn't yeah, get that year. i was trying not to uh somebody brought up the bowl game last year that's similar those things are similar it was like they the, the pain is different but the pain is very similar from those that play 
and then watching that game last year, um, those type things you want to forget. But but the bottom line is Carolina um, had got – the necessary um, recruiting was not there, and it certainly showed its head. So when Mike comes in, Jason, we talked about recruiting was going to be a huge thing, and Greg Barnes has been steadfast in that – uh, 2023 was the season, um, you know, old tar pit people and, and shout out to Buck Sanders. So before inside Carolina was a part of the tar pit, it's realistic fans think 2020 something. And, <laughs> and so now we're 2023, but looking to this year, um, I'm going to get straight into what I did on the message boards. If you're listening and you don't read them, you need to be a part of inside Carolina premium boards is I ask questions. What do people want to know from Jason's scouting reports? Um, and, and the questions came in quite numerous, but, but let me ask the basic question. A, how did you decide who to use? You mentioned that earlier, or who to review and B when you, when you reviewed or dug into a freshman or somebody that hadn't played a ton, just briefly break down um, how those work. Cause a lot of people say, well, you know, Travis Shaw hadn't played a down. How do you know if he's going to be any good? How do you explain that portion of your scouting reports? Uh, because I think it is fascinating what you've done. Yeah. So the, the first thing in terms of determining who to include on this, and I think we were including what something like 50, Let's see what's our number here uh 52 or 50, 51 i think players uh that we're going through uh the 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 way that i basically go through that is i i after taking a kind of preliminary look at the roster watching the spring game doing all that i i basically put together the players that i think are likely to get too deep reps so who's going to be who's going to be in the active rotation so players on the defensive side that are likely to be first or second string, and then same thing for players on the offensive side, and then a little bit more depth at, at, at positions that tend to rotate a lot. So running back, I'm going to look at a, a few more guys than, than just two or three, because first of all, it's not clear which guys are, are going to be those two or three, uh, you know, at defensive defensive tackle, there's more depth this year than there has been. And so, you know, I went, almost four deep there just because there's there's guys that are going to play different roles there and they're all going to get enough reps. So essentially if I'm if I'm projecting a player to get say double digit reps per game, then I'm I'm going to put him I'm going to include him in the uh in in the uh and that's double digit reps on offense or defense, not not special teams. But if I'm in, I'm in, I'm expecting a guy to get that kind of reps, then I'm I'm going to include him. If I don't expect him to get that number of reps this year, then I usually leave, leave him off. With a few exceptions, sometimes if there's a really heralded guy that you know might break in, but may, probably won't, I'll I'll maybe include that. Uh, and the the second part of that has to do with okay, so you got a guy like Travis uh, Travis Shaw who is a you know freak athlete freak uh, a freak recruit five star recruit who's coming in and he's not played a down and last year you had Ritzy you had Silver you know some you, know, you had Ra Ra you had Power you had some guys that hadn't played it down and at the same time these are guys that early enrolled so they're in position to actually compete for playing time in ways that guys that arrive on campus in July aren't likely to do so that's number one. Uh, number two is 
that also gives me some some footage to actually look at, okay, what does this guy look like when he's on the field with other Division One, Power 5, ACC-level players? What does he actually look like? Because he was a man among boys against high schoolers, but he's 355 pounds, 360 pounds, and the guy across from him is 5'10", 210, right? <laughs> And yeah, you know what? That kid is not actually handling him on the trap block. Sorry, coach. Why didn't I make the block? Well, because I didn't want to die. <laughs> now you're looking at him playing against guys who are who are grown men or, you know, be, becoming grown men just like him. What does he look like? So that gives me some data to take with that. And then basically the process there is this is these are scouting reports. These are not essentially progress reports in terms of like, okay, let's grade this guy a, B or C, you know, on how good he's been so far. I'm not, I'm not evaluating uh, pro production so much as I'm evaluating where is this player in sort of the, the grand pecking order of skill and talent in college football and on the UNC roster. That's what I'm evaluating. And every scout, every coach, who does this professionally for teams, you have to learn how to project. So if you're, if you're say going to be drafting for an NFL, an NFL team, you don't get the chance to watch what that guy looks like in NFL games before you draft, you scout that guy and you project, what is he likely to look like here at this level? What is his potential production? Where's his ceiling? How, how good can he get? What's his floor? What's the lead? You know, how, if he busts, if he's, you know, not as good as what, if he doesn't develop all the way, what's sort of his floor absent injury. So what you're doing is you're kind of projecting and you're assessing that based on the data that you do have. And that's physical traits. That's the, the reps that you have been able to see, which can tell you something about a guy's competitiveness. They can tell you how, you know, about motor, some of those things at an early stage and you just evaluate on the basis of the data that you have. And the less data that you have, the more tentative you, you leave your, your evaluation. You say, look, here's what I see. I see a guy who has these particular physical traits. I've seen these testing numbers from him in a reliable scenario. So I've got some sense of where his athleticism is. I see that he looked like this in these two series that he got in the, in the spring game. He looked like this in, you know, this amount of practice or whatever. I might talk to somebody who's been around and, you know, has seen him work and say, okay, what, what, what can I expect here? That sort of thing. Those are the things that you do in order to try to project and say, okay, where is this guy now? So with a guy like Shaw, he played like, 35 or 40 snaps i think somewhere somewhere in there in the uh in the spring game that's a that's a decent number of reps and it gives you a sense of what does he look like when he's getting blocked by acc level offensive linemen and where you know how does his movement translate where how quickly is he diagnosing all of those things and so i just then take that and i evaluate and i say here's what i see right now here's what i'm projecting based on physical traits and other intangibles and things like that that uh, I've, you know, I've had access to being able to see, and this is, this is what I think on the prospect at present. So that's basically the process. And I do that with every player. 
So that's with a, with a guy that I've not seen. Guys that have more tape, by the time you've got two years of starter tape, you know, if you read last year's assessment of Sam Howell, it's got a weaknesses column that's about that, you know, what, you know, two inches, three inches long on screen. I got some criticism for that, but that's a lot of those weaknesses are why he ended up going a little bit later in the NFL draft. And that, that his strengths column was also really big too. But that's one of those things where the younger a guy is, the more he's just straight potential and the more optimistic you can be about it. Like, okay, that that's where the ceiling might be. Then the longer you get to watch a guy, the more you get to go, okay, we can narrow that, you know, sort of those confidence intervals. We can narrow the band of where we think this guy might end up. And by the time you've seen him three, four years, he is what he's going to be. And so that's that's kind of the process is you're you're constantly projecting and then refining those projections based on looking at a lot of a lot of reps and looking at individual footage to say, OK, I've looked at six different games of this player at this position watching that player alone. <laughs> Here's what I see. Yeah. So it's interesting. You talk about uh, you are what you are as a college football player. Um, we used to always talk about. Bryce Johnson, Kennedy Meeks, you know, the famous thing is Sherelle and I used to talk about, you know, Bryce Johnson is what he is. And in his senior year, he's somebody completely different. Kennedy Meeks, completely different. Is is for, a, you know, in regards to a college football player, how much does a uh, scheme change or does getting a different coach um, or getting, or in Noah Taylor's situation, getting a different team, how much does that affect? A, what you see and what you project, but B, how much different they can be than what they have been in the past. Young guys, they're still moldable. They're all, you know. Um, but a guy like Des Evans, for example, Chris Collins, those guys were under Bateman in, in the past defensive staff for however many years. Noah Taylor comes from Virginia. So knowing that going into these um these uh, scouting reports and projections, how much of that matter to you as to how you projected these guys out? Uh, I think it's significant. Uh, and that's one of those things that it's a little different for every player, but you have to evaluate what the impact of, first of all, scheme is going to be on a player. So certain guys have certain traits and certain things that they're going to be able to do a little bit better than other things just based on their body type on, you know, what they bring to the table physically. And, you know, you look at a guy like Des Evans, for example, he, if you built a defensive end in a lab, he would walk out of that lab and look an awful lot like Des Evans. But at the same time, in modern defenses, generally speaking, edge guys have to be able to drop and, you know, cover a little bit you know at least cover the flat here and there you have to be able to do certain things be a little bit well-rounded to do some of those things and he didn't he was not as he was clearly not comfortable doing some of that stuff but then you could see late last year especially when he was able to put his hand on the ground and just long arm a guy and try to push the you know uh, play bull rush a guy bull rush a, a, a an offensive tackle into the into the backfield you could see flashes of like, oh, that's why that guy was rated so high. And you can start to see like, that's what that guy might be able to do well. Well, then you look at, okay, he's now been moved from like a, an edge, sort of that hybrid edge role to being a big end. 
That's his job. He's going to have his hand in the ground nine times out of 10, if not more. And he's, yeah, he's going to have to drop it periodically, but he's going to probably drop 75% less than he did. And they're just going to ask him, get upfield in one gap. And you say, you know, that that may be exactly what he needs to to flourish more in in that particular system, right? He, maybe he just didn't fit what he needed to be able to do in the prior system. So you think about uh, some of the guys for for Carolina basketball. Look at look at what happened with, uh, let's say, well, let, let's just look at what happened this last year with with Hubert going to a more NBA style offensive set. There were a couple guys that I think really benefited from that from from going basically four high from going to a, a, a that kind of more pick and roll oriented, a little bit more free flowing kind of uh, approach offensively that, you know, they, they looked better and more comfortable, especially end of the year than they did the prior year. So some of it is about that you're projecting like, okay, so this guy, instead of being asked to do this, say 30% of the time, he's only going to be asked to do that five or 10% of the time, that extra 20%, he's going to get more consistent. He's going to be more comfortable. You might be able to project more production. Another thing though is, okay, what did I see from this player in terms of fundamentals? So this in particular, you look at the offensive line last year and, and, you know, you talk about uh, uh, some of the stuff that, that I and, and Mike Ingersoll did last year. We we went through, we did a two video series looking at the fundamentals and the basic, just like almost in certain places, high school level lack of attention to detail and fundamental problems on the offensive line that were across the board. And you go, dang, man, like that's systemic. That's not one player. That's not two players just not getting it. When you see four guys on the offensive line that are struggling with this particular fundamental that they should have second nature by the time they're they're at the end of their freshman year. Okay. Well you can do the math. Well, now you have a change there with a guy who is, has a reputation and an earned reputation for being a stickler for detail in a lot of those exact areas. And you go, you know, that guy, he struggled in this and this area last year and it shows up on film but so did every other guy next to him. So how quickly might he be able to take a step forward because he's getting held accountable for some of that stuff now? You you try to project that as well. So it's a mix. Um, and then some guys, you know, maybe maybe this guy's more of a two-gap type guy up front who's more of a of a uh, a big body who can who can handle uh the beating inside, but isn't isn't liable to penetrate real well isn't going to shoot the gap real well as a as a as a pass rusher and maybe the current system isn't going to fit him as well or you know you start to look at it and you say okay how much are the new staff actually going to incorporate and hold on to some of the things that the old staff did just because the roster fits some of that in certain places so you again you're trying to evaluate on the basis of all of that and it is it is something that you take into account every time you go to do one of those one of those reports and you fill that out and you say how does this player fit this year so just for my own 
personal knowledge and, and so our listeners and watchers can understand how much time you put into this and again we're listening to jason staples inside carolina football expert um on all the details how, how much time per person per player um if you had to ballpark it went into these that is a good question i don't know um because it, it's it's pretty variable a guy like miles murphy I didn't spend that much time on this time because I I looked at him all year last year. I watched a lot of Miles Murphy last year doing a lot of stuff. So with him, I went back just to make and and watched, you know, I watched through the the whole spring game looking just at Miles Murphy. Then I went through, you know, a couple things from games last year, just to, just to remind myself of what my eyes had seen previously. And go, okay, yeah, that, that's that's what I remember. All right, here we go. So a guy like that, I didn't spend a ton of time on. Um, but then a guy like, say, Cedric Gray, who I hadn't really zeroed in on as much in the in 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 the prior uh in in prior seasons. I had not done a, a scouting report on him before. With a guy like Cedric, uh, that's significantly more. Um, with a guy like, uh, uh, let's see, DJ so, Jones, you know, it's going to be more, and it's just, it's going to be more in the year that, you know, I, I've not done one. I, I did one on DJ last year, but I didn't have a whole lot of data. So I wanted to go back and take a look at more stuff. So it, it varies per player, but I mean, it's, it's not, it's not insignificant. Yeah. And, and like Jason said, you can, there's a thread on the, tar pit premium message board it has an index of all of them we got to see about getting that pinned uh you know it, it is uh very in-depth mostly the defense or at least the defensive line's been done so far offensive line will be something everybody will be looking at um, the most recent one that's up now is power echoes certainly worth looking at but l- let me get to the question so everybody always has a question and a lot of times we do these live and, and people even ask was it live not live but I'm in real time going to ask you some questions and I'm going to go with the man, Ben Sherman right now. Uh, he says long time listener. Well, you got no choice, <laughs> Ben, uh, but he, he, he asked this question and, and it's a, a question that you hear a lot. And it's a question I hear a lot. What players, and let's talk just defense right now. If you want to tease your offensive stuff, you can, we may get back together in a couple of three weeks and do offense, but what players really jumped out to you um, as could be significant for North Carolina this year, maybe a significant jump or significant guy that's going to make a difference, especially on that defensive line, but anywhere on the field um, that you really looked at and said, whoa, whoa, this is going to be a guy we talk about a lot. Yeah. So who popped off the screen and kind of surprised? Yeah. Um, First guy, really, that I, I was really po- sort of positively surprised by my evaluation and what I saw on the, on the screen was Cedric Gray. He's a guy that that I didn't remember him being as 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 fluid and as as uh, as high a ceiling as as uh, as as I think he might be. And you know, if anything, I'm conservative. I'm I'm going to be conservative on my rating with him, my overall rating, but. Uh, when I went back and I looked at some stuff from last year, he he's a good player, uh, and has a chance to be more. Um, 
so Cedric Gray is one that that you know a lot of a lot of us the easy attention goes to power and, and to Rara because they were more highly touted recruits. But Cedric, I mean, there were times where just in terms of his diagnose his speed of diagnosis and his ability to chase down plays and all of that, he really displayed a lot last year and really came on in the second half of the year in ways that that make me optimistic about the future of that position. Uh and he flashed some some real wheels, flash some speed. So um so he's a guy, and actually, funny thing is, I've, I've, as I've been going back through certain other players, Cedric keeps popping off the screen again, and I'm actually going to be here last minute changing a couple things in that report just because it's like, oh, I just noticed some more, uh, because he's a guy, and that's one of the things you look for is who are the guys that jump off the screen when you're watching the other guys, yeah. right? And Cedric's one of those guys when he when that he actually consistently he was consistently reliable in coverage he was a guy that that played with very high effort and with a lot of speed uh he's a guy that needs to get stronger but a lot of things that that he can get better at or that he needs to get better at in his game are things that i think he can get better at i think he can get stronger i think he can think he had a missed tackle rate of like 17 percent last year or something like that uh and you know that that missed tackle rate's too high well some of that is just that he was a really young player and you could see that there was a, a lack of upper body strength in certain cases where guys slipped tackles on it. Uh, others were angles, which is a persistent problem on the defense last year anyway. So that's one guy. Uh, Kamen Rucker is another. Uh, man, I love that guy. Uh, that guy is a football player. And yeah, there are other guys on this team that are more talented. You know, you look at he's actually sort of splitting that big end position with Javari Ritzy and Des Evans. And that's two five stars that are, that are, that should be in front of him. But that guy is not going to just give guys his reps. There are so many plays from last year. When you go back and you look and you're like, Oh, you know, here, here they are in a goal line situation against Pitt or whatever, you know, short yardage against Pitt. Who is it? That's just absolutely submarining that, uh, that offensive tackle, pushing him four yards into the backfield and in on the tackle came in Rucker. You know, who is it? That's getting more pressure on the quarterback came in Rucker. Who is it? That's, you know, maybe not the fastest guy in the world, but is, is busting his tail, just chasing to the sideline, just to make sure that that guy is escorted out of bounds came in Rucker. So that's a guy that, you know, if I were an NFL scout, I would be pounding the table for that guy saying, look, I don't know if we can, you know, he's not a guy that's going to go high. We can't, we can't do that, but he's a guy that I want on my roster. He's a guy that I think can make us better. Uh, and I would want, I would want to give him an opportunity at that level just to see how he could, if he could find a spot because he's a football player. Uh, a couple others, um, Sebastian Cheeks jumped out to me in the, uh, in the spring game. Just the tools there. Uh, he is green and it's going to take some time in terms of being able to, he wasn't asked to cover a whole lot in high school and he's, he's learning on that front, but he's a guy that you can see like his natural processing speed is, is high. And in terms of length and movement skills, that's, that's, that's a blue chip linebacker. That's what a linebacker is supposed to look like. And he's going to be, he's going to be contending for, for reps sooner than later, even though he's got some really highly touted guys in front of him. So that's a guy that stood out. Uh, guy I actually am not doing a report on, but but looked the part in the spring game is Dante Balfour. 
Um, he's a guy that just moved well. Um, I haven't seen enough on him really to do a whole lot at this point, but he's a guy that a couple times I was like, oh, I kind of like what 14 looked like there. You know, we'll see, we'll see what I, what I can see from, from the future, but you know, he's got a good frame and moves his feet. Well, um, beyond that, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see sort of how Ritzy looks and, and, and Des Evans look going into next year. Evans at a, in a couple spots flashed in the, in the spring game, but, I'm not sure how much that was competition versus him getting better. You know, there, there's some, there's some real talent there with silver is a guy I'm excited about. Um, but some of those guys, they, they show the traits, but there's still like, there's still something for me that I'm like, man, if they just could put it together and a couple of those guys might still be 2023 guys. I mean, silver may be, it may be 2023 before he really, really gets it. And, you know, at that point he he could be a real load, but those are the guys that I think defensively stood out to me the most. And I'll tease two on offense. Um, actually I'll tease three on offense before, but I won't say too much about him because the, the scouting reports haven't hit. Uh, one is Asim Richards, who I think looked better uh, fundamentally uh, in the, in the spring game than he did last year. Uh, also looked a little bit more comfortable on his feet. He gained a lot of weight since he got on campus and I thought looked a little top heavy last year and, and a little, he was not as fluid as he was when he was lighter. And I thought some of that fluidity looked a little better in the spring game. Uh, British Brooks is a guy that was surprising in terms of the end of the year. And he carried that into the spring game and looked great. Uh, and then Connor Harrell, I was really surprised. I mean, I hadn't really gone and, and taken a lot of, of a look at him before he came in. I just kind of knew where he fit in the class, but Harrell really impressed me. In, in looking through his game and, and his potential in terms of being able to see the field and get the ball out quickly and get it out accurately. Uh, he's the guy that I, I, I'm really positive about. So those are three guys that really stood out from the, uh, from the offensive side. Well, that's an interesting take. Uh, a couple of those guys or one of those guys leads me to a question. I'll ask you after the break, but let's talk about Johnny t-shirt, Johnny t-shirt.com. Of course, uh, they're always going to be your best bet for Carolina gear. Visit them on Franklin Street. Please go see them on Franklin Street when you're in town. And look, there's not much better than Chapel Hill in the summertime. Fall Saturdays are nice. They're always a thing. But summertime in Chapel Hill is a, is a very uh, good place to visit. And Johnny T-Shirt needs to be your go-to. But if you can't go, johnnytshirt.com. And of course, Inside Carolina Premium subscribers, which twofold. If you listen to this podcast, you're not a premium subscriber, you don't know what we're talking about. Because all these scouting reports that Jason have done has done, that I have a list in front of me, uh, they're on the premium message boards. And so you need to join up and you need to get that information. Uh, but also you get 10% off your Johnny T-Shirt orders. A couple minutes to let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be back. Jason Staples, Inside Carolina's football expert, talking um, a lot of scouting reports. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. We are back uh, about 30 minutes into the show. I'm Tommy Ashley, your host. That's Jason Staples. Uh, premium scouting reports on Tarpent Premium message boards. We've gone through a little bit, and Jason, you've sort of talked about guys that pop. Let me ask a couple questions that I, that I got on the thread when I asked for questions. And, and I sort of mentioned scheme earlier in the podcast when we talked about it, and I was more talking about on the defensive side. Um but you mentioned Asim Richards there. Um, and Carolina had what, three offensive linemen drafted this year. And the offensive line did not look great at times <laughs> last year. Um, let's just put it like that. How much of a difference um, will a change in coaches there? Twofold question. One, uh, the outgoing coach is now at Georgia. And Georgia, I think, is pretty good at football, um, especially college football. Um so that's that. How much of a change of scenery um, and a change of coaching will help this Carolina offensive line in your mind? Because like you mentioned, you and Ingersoll and plenty of other people were quite quite critical of what um, Carolina put on the field at times last year. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about that is I remember last year at different points, folks pointing to some of my scouting reports where I was saying, look, these guys are probably going to be drafted. These are really talented offensive linemen with, you know, potential to play on Sundays and going sure don't look like a bunch of NFL players to me. And I'm going, <laughs> they still look like NFL players to me. They just look like NFL players who badly need to be coached. And so again, how do, that... so how do we get where we are now? Would you got three draft picks? <laughs> you've got a, you've got an outgoing coach that is at probably the premier second best premier program in the country at the moment. And now you have Big Nell that's come in and sort of opened your eyes again to how good this offensive line could be. Yeah, to me, so I was skeptical about the prior offensive line, that hire when he was hired. And I mean, we could probably go back to the <laughs> to the co to the coaching hire shows that we did in, in those, you know, about three years ago when that when that was all going down. And I was very much, a, uh, you know. Miami folks and Texas folks weren't real thrilled with him down there. And I, you know, I've, I've got some connections who uh, were not impressed, but we'll see how he does. Obviously Mac knows, you know, a lot more on lots of things. And and to me, the product at Carolina was in line with what I kind of was afraid might happen there. Bicknell has, has, has been one of the better offensive line coaches, I think in the college game for a while. And you look at that Louisville offensive line last year, they were well coached. Now they were well coached in part because they'd been coached the year prior by a very good offensive line coach whose name is escaping me. The guy who, who left uh, NC state to go, to go to, uh, uh, to join Satterfield and in, in, at Louisville. And he's definitely one of the, you know, five or six best offensive line coaches in the, in, in or at least was in the college game. I think he's in the pros now. Um, but 
he's really good. So they were well-schooled before Bicknell got there, but Bicknell maintained that and, you know, built on that. And he's got a good reputation as a guy who's detail oriented, who understands how to, how to not only how to coach the position in terms of what needs to be done, but how to hold those guys accountable and really get it done and, and to be a quality teacher. Uh, so I think there's going to be some significant improvement in terms of fundamentals. And I already saw some improvements fundamentally in the spring game. Now, they did not face as many twists as they're going to face in the in the regular season and games up front. So that, you know, that's still a work in progress. And that's something that they just were absolutely awful at the last couple of years. Uh, but in terms of some of the just really basic fundamentals, like what do the guys stances look like? What do they look like when they're coming out of their stance, you know, in the running game? How, how does that second step land? Is it landing in the right spot with the right amount of power? How is their how's their hand placement? How consistent are they with some of that? Those are the things that I'm evaluating there. And that's something that I, pay, I paid some attention to in the spring game when I was watching over and over again with these offensive linemen and going, hey, that looks a little better than it did last year. I mean, still needs work, but looks, you know, looks like they're actually doing a little bit better there. Uh, and I think the most obvious was just look at the stances. Look at what those guys look like in their stances. Uh, and that does matter. So you know, I think there's going to be some improvement there just in terms of the cohesiveness of the unit and the overall fundamentals that they play with. I do think that there is a little bit of a step back in terms of some of the talent up front. I thought that was a very talented group. Uh, you know, Azudu is more talented than any player they have on the offensive line this year. He just was. Is. And, you know, but the thing is, the offensive line is not an individual position. It's about five guys really gelling and working together as a unit. The offensive line is almost like one position manned by five players. And you have to have as few weaknesses as possible there. Uh, and it did hurt them last year that they had problems at the center position in terms of, of health. And I think they've got at least two decent options going into this year so that that's unlikely to happen. They, they, they at least have three players who can play that and two that should be decent ACC level options at that offensive or at that center position, uh, which if you're bad at center, you're going to be bad at offense because that's the one place you just, you can't be bad. You can, you can be good there and there's diminishing returns with to great at that point, but you have to be good at center. And they had so many injuries and so much trouble there last year that, that it was, it was tough. So I think just having more depth at that spot and then, more uh more detail oriented coaching there uh and also i think bicknell's approach in terms of offensive line for him is not a passive endeavor and that is very much my philosophy when it comes to offensive line is it, it's it's sort of like um well it's it's like any other position in football you never want to be the one that's getting hit you want to be the one that delivers the blow now, on offensive line, you have to do that under control or guys will ultimately just, you know, swim you. They'll they'll move past you. But you have to be in position to actually deliver the blow. You have to, to have your footwork in place to actually move guys rather than just kind of lazily taking position. And I thought they did a lot of that in the last couple of years. And I think Bicknell's approach is going to be a, a, is going to be a breath of fresh air there. It'll probably take a year or two to really kick in, though. So... Mm -hmm. You know, 
we'll see. There'll be some mixed results this year from, from that transition, but I think all in all, it'll be positive. Uh, It'll be some moderate improvement up front versus last year. You mentioned the talent, obviously Tucker McKeithen and Azudu Um, being, you know, NFL people don't draft folks just for the heck of it, just because of (laughs) a name or a university. So um, jobs um, are on the line for those guys. And they obviously thought highly of them. I'll be interested to watch or, or to read your stuff. You do have Corey Gaynor, Kieran Johnson, and Brian Anderson on your evaluations. Those are all three options for Carolina at center with Anderson and Gaynor being the, the main guys there. Um, you know, looking at uh, – you, you mentioned moderate improvement, perhaps. Um, the coaching will be a big part of that. W- when we talk about Carolina being elite or at least moving out of the mediocre slash pretty good football program i mean it's on the lines so in your in your opinion um, what is a realistic expectation for the defensive line after you've gone through this and and again folks i'm talking about more defensive stuff here because all these scouting reports have not dropped yet there are a lot coming um, including all three quarterbacks at some point uh, down the line here but as far as realistic expectations jason i think I think Carolina makes the most hay with the with a big time defensive line um, this year. Um, is it realistic to think that they will be significantly better uh, on that or in that position, both positions that you've done, than in the course of 2022? Or is it still a youth factor? Or um, is that youth factor a not relevant anymore? And b is it time for guys to put up? Or, or get passed on the depth chart. Yeah, so that's that's a lot of questions all at once. <laughs> I, um, I, I uh, ask every question in the thread in that one second. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll 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 start with the question of can, should we expect a significant step forward on the on the on the defensive line, uh, in the twenty twenty two season versus last year, uh. My answer on that is if you don't see a significant step forward on the defensive line, then guy, then, then there, there need to be a couple of people that get fired. That's pretty I mean, on that's, point. That's, that's direct. That's pretty blunt. The talent is there. The talent has been amassed and recruited. And there's guys now that are in their second and third years in the program that have the talent that you would expect those guys to begin to start to make a difference at that point when you have a guy that's that's the quality of recruit the quality of body uh of a say javari ritzy who's now in his second season after early enrolling you expect there to be a a step forward with a guy like des evans this is this is put up or shut up time for him right i mean this is third year and it's time for for him to to treat it like a contract year and that's a guy that there's no more excuses for, for, for him if he doesn't actually perform. And if they don't find ways to get a guy like that to perform. And frankly, last year, there were times where Carolina got bullied at the point of attack that, I, you know, watching, watching, you know, rewatching those games, watching them closely, going, dang, like how? man, that they are really just getting out physical here. 
And actually, the, the one that's the most obvious, the most obvious two games, there are two games that were the most obvious on this. I feel like the, the Spanish Inquisition. Two, three, three. Um, but uh, there were two games where that stood out the most in terms of just getting bullied up front and by teams that had no business doing that to you. And that's the Florida State game and the South Carolina game. Florida State's offensive line ate Carolina's defensive front alive. If you watch that, there, that's there's clinic tape from Florida State's O-line, which is not super talented, just opening up holes at will against Carolina last year. And then South Carolina watched that and went, well, we don't have a Jordan Travis, but we can take one of our wide receivers and make him Jordan Travis. And we're going to do the same stuff. And they did exactly the same thing and bullied the, the, the defensive front again. Now, here's the thing. You have to, if, if you get that same level of just getting physically beat up front with the bodies that you've now collected, how many 300 pounders do you, do you have up front? Let's think about this. You've got, well, if you want to include, so you've got, you got Jaleel Taylor, Bingley Jones, Silver, Hester, Miles Murphy, Vohasic, and Travis Shaw. That's eight, nine guys that are 300 pounds plus, And at least six of those guys ain't stiffs. And what, four of them are, are blue chip guys? And then you add Des Evans at 265 pounds at big end. You add Ritzy at 290 pounds at big end. If you're getting bullied up front with that group, then that's going to say something about, about your offseason program. And that's going to say something about your, your coaching at that position and your culture within the program. Which leads to the question somebody asked about that specifically, and you hit on it. Uh, the off-season strength and the conditioning, the in-season strength and conditioning. Where where do you lie there as far as um, how Hess and his staff have done? We have praised him um, and his staff quite a bit on, on these podcasts over the years, but like you mentioned, um, if there's one thing that South Carolina was able to do, it was to show the difference maybe in, <laughs> in how things are done. Granted, a lot goes into that. Nobody wanted to be at that game. Nobody in the stands wanted to be at that game. Nobody on the plate on the field wanted to be at that game. But as far as that, looking and projecting and doing all that kind of stuff, how much did you take into consideration that aspect of the program? It's something I looked at now. So first of all, I've been impressed by Hess's overall approach in terms of how he programs things. Uh, I, I think he's state of the art and really understands what he's, he knows what he's doing. He does a great job of teaching. They've got a good staff. Now, the other thing that I want to, I want to highlight is I warned people going into last year <laughs> that look, it's probably a year early for the defense because all these, all, all this real, you know, talent with these 300 pounders and all, all that, all those guys that look like the guys that Clemson's been bringing onto campus, all those guys are freshmen and sophomores now they're sophomores and juniors there's a big difference there if you're looking at a guy like ritzy going into last year he's got spring and summer and he's going into the end of the year he's barely had a chance to scratch the surface in the offseason conditioning program you add a full year on top of that 
So you've got that in season and then another year where that's when you finally start to get to build on this and really start to, to build the physiques that you want for this level. That's when you start to expect those results to change. Same thing with a guy like Miles Murphy, a year even older, you expect him to come into this year looking like an NFL player and not getting pushed around. So I'm not that surprised that they got pushed around last year because I, again, I warned people, if you go back to the, to the preseason stuff last year, I said, look, these guys are really talented, but don't expect too much from the young guys yet because they're young, they're puppies. And if they go against, against adult dogs, they're going to get their lunch eaten. And they did now. And, and this is why the hype oftentimes arrives a year too early in programs sometimes two years too early because because of the way that recruiting works. So I felt like last year it was one of those, like their youth was a legitimate excuse. It was a real thing. You had guys that were still just young players up front that, and, and inadequate depth with experienced guys that knew what they were doing, that had played college football a year prior, all of that had been through the off season conditioning program this year is the year where I expect to see that stuff starting to pay off. This, this was the year. And, and again, last year I, I felt like defensively they were a year away and we talked in the preseason about it's really too bad that this is probably going to be Sam's last year, because if you could put the 2022 defense with the 2021 offense, you'd probably have a team. And that, I mean, that was our discussion. This is the year where I, I think that 2022 defense needs to take a significant step forward because they have the bodies to do it. And they've got bodies that have been on campus long enough that you would expect the, the, the culture of a win of a winning kind of program and a quality off season conditioning program and quality coaching to start actually producing players, difference makers out of some of the guys that they have on campus. I wouldn't have necessarily expected that last year. I expect it this year. Good take there. A couple questions on special teams. I don't see any special teams guys listed on your stuff. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but but if you had to evaluate um, special teams, especially the specialists, how would you do that in this scheme? How, how do how do NFL folks do that? Well, for um, for one thing, they have specialists who evaluate the specialists. Uh huh. And so they and, have and you and you are a specialist in, in not in punting. Right. Well, now I've coached punting and I've, (laughs) so the funny, the funny thing is I was, I was a special teams coordinator and and, and when I coached in high school and I coached punting and and kicking and my kicker, uh, you know, the first year I coached special teams went, uh, I think it was 21 to 23 and one conference special teams player of the year. So, and he's playing in college right now. Now I'm not going to take all the credit for that because he was, he was a pretty good player before I got a hold of him, but I do have some sense of, of, of some of this more than maybe some others, but I would still want to have, you know, uh, a, a kicking specialist really evaluate that over me. Um, I can evaluate like, look, you know, it looks like he, you know, the, the plant foot is inconsistent in its placement. You know, it looks like uh, inadequate drive through, through the ball here. You know, there's different things that I can look at, but, I'm not, I'm not spending time in the off season doing that, going back and looking at that. Uh, I don't have the angles to do it generally, and it's just not worth it. Uh, what I can say is that I think the more talent you get on campus at in the secondary and at linebacker, 
the more your coverage teams and your special teams in general benefit. So that's where having guys like Ra-Ra, who right now, he's going to be a rotational player, but right now he's not projected to be a starter on defense. He'll play, but he's not actually projected to be a starter. But he should be an absolute stud on on special teams. And a guy like Cheeks, that's a guy that, that you know, you get those kind of guys on your special teams and you automatically are better because you've got that quality of a player on special teams. This is why Alabama and Georgia and those teams, you know, they're teams that block punts and return punts for, for return punts for touchdowns. And, you know, they, they have great kick coverage teams and all that. It's not because their special teams coordinators are doing stuff that nobody else is doing. It's because they're putting out players that are starter level players on special teams. And they got studs covering. Yeah. And, and when you have those dudes, out there and that guy is running a four four five instead of a four seven he's getting he's getting to the ball to block the kick instead of being you know a foot short you know that's the difference and and i think some of what i'm seeing is there's an improvement in the overall floor of the roster especially on the defensive side that we've seen the last couple of years that should start manifesting and on the special teams being a little bit better as well Absolutely. but I, i'm not evaluating kickers and punters at this point <laughs> It is a it's a it's a big portion of the game. It, you know, Vipolis and Shaq Rashad talked to British Books in the latest podcast, and Brooks made his name on special teams. and And if you play on all four units, you play a lot in a game. Mm-hmm. You play a lot of snaps in a game. So certainly a big part of the game. Let me ask you a couple more questions because um, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Let's talk about Tony Grimes and Storm Duck. Those will be dropping. Those evaluations will be dropping here in the next week or so. Um, is it time for Tony Grimes to um, turn the hype into action? I think he struggled mightily last year, I think, uh, for a variety of reasons. But those reasons um, I don't think are there anymore. Um, so also him and also Storm Duck. Um, you, you've been high on Storm for a long time. We're, just as a tease, where are those guys going to – where will fans see market improvement with those guys and what do you think they still need to work on well um without spoiling your yeah thing that comes out you know grimes came in had you know in, in with with a ton of talent as did storm uh and i think just the overall sort of there were a lot of difficulties on the defense as as a whole in terms of communication safeties and corners are not always on the same page last year uh, in terms of certain technique things. And honestly, I think, I, I think uh, uh, Grimes look, may have been, he, he looked like he may have come into the season a little bit overtrained uh, in terms of just not having quite as much burst as it looked like he'd had the prior year uh, and looking just a little top heavy. So I wonder whether or not this offseason, whether they're able to dial in just a little bit more in terms of refining so that he comes into the season just a just a beat quicker and faster, uh, having gone through now two years of of uh, college stuff. And I mean, this is you periodize this so that guys really hit their stride in year two, year three on campus. And I, I think, you know, he just there were there were times where he looked a little heavier footed, not quite as explosive last year as he did the prior year. But. I think the fact that he's looked more explosive in the past suggests that that's, that, that, that that's reachable. It's accessible for him. 
and similarly with 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 Storm last year, he was coming off that injury and he he never really looked quite as confident or as fluid as he had before. If he's able to get to the the level that he had before, then you know now you're looking at an all ACC type corner and a guy that's going to go in the NFL draft. So, you know those two guys. If you're talking about highest ceiling on the team this year, those two guys might be it because those two guys could be as the two bookend corners. That could be the best set of corners in the in the conference. But it's not a guarantee based on what we saw last year, based on, you know, coming back from injury, based on some, you know, things technically that need to be worked out, based on just overall getting the secondary so that, it, that so that all the players are on one page. But, you know, I think there's reason for optimism there. Again, you know, with, with Grimes, sort of the hype arrived a year early. And this guy should be in his second year on, on campus. Right. And I mean, he's, he's young. So yeah, I, I, I think those guys, I think a lot of those guys I, and, and looking at what I saw from them last year and what I've seen from them in prior years, the ceiling is really, really high. Uh, I would just like to see a few things get fixed uh, and, and them get confidence back. I mean, neither of them played super confident last year either. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of confidence in the secondary in general last year. Uh, especially by the by the later portion of the year or year so that I mean that's something that they just need to build but um by the way in terms of British Brooks all of his experience on the on the uh on special teams that's going to be why that guy's going to end up playing in the NFL because NFL teams love third string running backs that are superstars on special teams and I'm not saying he's destined to be a third string running back but look if you've got a choice between a guy who might not make a roster as a third running back choice, and he, you know, look, he looked like a NFL running back at the end of last year and looked like one in the spring game. So he may be more than that. But if it comes down to a roster spot, I can tell you from a lot of guys that I, I know from, from having played with them and in and, and other situations, when it comes down to that and you're, you're on the margin, how good a special teams player you are makes that decision for you for those coaches in the NFL. And so, you know, British has helped himself a lot with that in the past. And, and you know, hopefully some of the younger guys are able to take that example and, and build that that resume. Because, again, if you're going to be the fifth linebacker or sixth linebacker on a roster as a young player, you better dang, dang well be a really good special teams player or you're just not going to be there in the NFL. So anyhow, yeah, that that um, that combination, by the way, of two corners that have the chance that have the that have the talent the raw ability to be as good as they could be together with a, a defensive front that includes a third year des evans a second year ritzy a third year miles murphy a, you know a second year silver a fifth year vohasic you know all of these guys that should be good players that that's the foundation of a quality defense. I would expect this Carolina defense, if they're not good, then there need to be some questions asked about the, the, the program itself. This defense needs to be good this year. Good stuff from Jason Staples. Of course, uh, like I said before, we primarily on the defensive side of the ball, simply because his scouting reports have not totally dropped. They will drop over the next 
course of two or three weeks to a month as we lead into uh, the not off season <laughs> into fall camp. It'll be here before you know it. I think um, 60 days, less than 60 days, less than six weeks until Florida A&M comes to Kenyon Stadium. What, this time flies. And we'll get uh-huh. Jason Staples back on the show to talk about some of his offensive scouting reports and and evaluations jason it's always a pleasure i know you've got some traveling coming up safe travels my friend i appreciate it and one last thing i will answer one question i'm looking at the thread myself right now i will answer one more question this more likely to win nine games next year (laughs) unc or fsu i know you were dodging that question i dodged it smoke pants sorry i dodged it yep i uh i'm gonna go ahead and answer that i think carolina is more likely to win nine games next year I, I actually have both programs not winning nine games next year as of right now, but I would not be surprised if Carolina did. So, yeah, um, we, we got prediction shows coming up. We got over under shows coming up. Um, I, I need your scouting reports to get out completely so I can get my homework <laughs> done. Um, I got to get my draft. 13 and 0, uh, Tommy. Yeah, it is. Uh, it could be very interesting. So, uh, yeah, a lot to talk about as we ramp up towards the season. It is. Uh, what is June 29th right now, June 30th tomorrow, July 1st, two days away. I know our Inside Carolina premium subscribers especially have enjoyed um, your work. Keep it coming. If you're not a premium subscriber, get on there and do it. And also support Johnny T-shirt. InsideCarolina.com. Thanks you. Jason Staples. I'm Tommy Ashley. Peace. Thanks, Tommy.